Welcome to Highway Christian Community Sermon Downloads. For more sermons, please visit our website. We know you will be blessed as you listen. Take care and God bless. Well, good morning to everyone. Wonderful that we can minister to you through the medium of the internet at this time until we're back together again. Because this is not until death do us part. This is just a temporary adjustment that we've all had to make during a very challenging time. And the future of the church is going to look different. But we know the promise of our God that the glory in his latter house is going to supersede everything we knew before. Amen. So let me pray for you this morning. Pray for your family Lord, we thank you for joy unspeakable and full of glory. We thank you that there is a joy that comes by your spirit that is not founded on our human emotions or founded on clever personalities or the the joke of the day, but is based on a deep realization that our God is in control. Our God is for us and not against us. And I pray over every individual, Lord, every family represented, that the joy of God would be their strength today. In Jesus' name, amen. We've been speaking over the past few weeks around this topic of what Jesus is building on earth, namely his ecclesia, his church, his governmental authority, established in the twos and threes that gather to bind in the invisible realm and loose in the physical realm. And I believe we haven't even seen the beginnings of that authority being released. I think a lot of us have just been caught unawares through this whole uh, COVID time. And we're asking questions and we're floundering around and, God, where are you? What are you doing? We know you haven't moved, but it sure feels like it. And we haven't even yet engaged with that supernatural authority that he's given us. And the last days are going to be characterized with signs, wonders and miracles and the supernatural of God being poured out. And right now he's building his church. That's the ecclesia we've been talking about. And what I want to share with you this morning is in the building of a house and a building of any sort The foundation is kind of the important starting place and probably the most important part of the building because if it goes wrong there, it's going to go wrong everywhere. And the scripture says in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, in verse 10, Paul is writing here and he says, By the grace God has given me, I laid a foundation as an expert builder. What a commendation. What a good self-image. That he was a builder and he'd laid a good foundation by the grace that was given him. And this is not a good time to move away from grace. This is not a time to slip back into a mixture of law and grace covenants. This is a time to build solidly and firmly in the grace that we've received. And he goes on and says, but each one should be careful how he builds. Maybe that's an 
admonition, admonition to you and I uh, that we need to take care what we're going to build. Because no other foundation, he says in verse 11, other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ. Verse 11, I'll repeat it. For no one can lay any foundation other than the one that's already been laid, which is Jesus Christ. So we've been warned in the scripture and encouraged that we don't forget that the foundation to this ecclesia, the foundation to all this what we're talking about with what Jesus is doing on earth, building his church so that his kingdom can be established, is based on this foundation. Right at the beginning of his promise to build his church that the gates of hell cannot prevail, he addresses a similar subject. In Matthew 16, verse 13, it says that when Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Jesus wasn't confused about his identity. Jesus wasn't feeling insecure about what he'd come to do. But it was at the stage of his ministry, he just needed a little bit of feedback. And he knew he couldn't present the full revelation of who he was yet, as he often reminded his disciples not to tell anyone. But he did need to know what the corridor conversations were taking place at in the market. Who do the people say I am? And that question, my friend, is still resonating through the earth today. Because it's what we think he is that he will be to us. If we just think of Jesus as being a historical figure, then that's who he will be to us. If we think of Jesus as just being one of the prophets, then that's what he is to us. But when we come to know by revelation who Jesus Christ is, that changes everything. Now let's look at their, their answer here. Verse 14. So they said, some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others, Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. This was the feedback Jesus was getting on what people thought of him. And, and let me just add here that this wasn't an insult by any means. I mean, who wouldn't mind being compared to, to uh, Jeremiah or John the Baptist or, or one of the other prophets? Elijah. I mean, just think about Elijah. He's confronted with the prophets of Baal. He calls down fire. He stops the rain. He releases the rain. He uh, sustains himself from a little bit of, of flour and oil from a widow. And he's fed by ravens. Now, this speaks of divine providence. This speaks of little becoming much in God's economy. And I think... That's a great comparison. I mean, Jesus did come and take a few loaves of bread and a few fish and feed the multitudes. Jesus did come as the one who was going to destroy Satan and take the keys back and call down fire on the pits of hell. But the comparison runs short because Jesus was much greater than Elijah. You see, Jesus has come 
to defeat the works of darkness. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifest to destroy Satan's works. Not just a company of Baal prophets, but the very forces of evil that have been rebelling against the, the kingdom of God. I mean, who, who wouldn't mind being compared to John the Baptist? I mean, other than the locusts and, and just uh, wild honey story, he, he was a mighty man. He was, he was prophesied from the Old Testament. He, he came along and, and he was a revolutionary character, a reformer in his day. I mean, he had the, the radical calling on him to prepare the way for Jehovah says in the Old Testament. Every mountain will come down. Every valley will be lifted up. I mean, what a great comparison. But Jesus was so much more than John the Baptist. If John the Baptist came to be a revolutionary to usher in Jesus, Jesus came as a revolutionary to usher in the kingdom of God, to rule over the kingdoms of this world and to rule eternally. Jesus comes to fulfill, but he comes as much, much more. And what we'll have time to talk about, Jeremiah, who had a divine calling from birth. From his mother's womb, he was called. And he prophesied that the new covenant would come. What a high calling for a prophet. And Jeremiah uh, was persecuted and rejected by friends. He was rejected and persecuted by Israel. He was persecuted by his, his, his own family. And Jesus is compared to him. To be compared to Jeremiah. But he's so much more. Jesus is so much more than that. Because he didn't just prophesy the new covenant. He was the new covenant. And then they say, and maybe one of the other prophets. I mean, they, take your pick. It could be Jonah. Now, Jesus was a fulfillment of, of Jonah. He was compared to that man who came and uh, at first rebelled against God, but had his arm twisted and had to go to Nineveh with a message. He was swallowed up in the, the belly of a fish. Jesus is compared and, and contrasted with this Old Testament hero. But Jesus is so much more than that. Jesus wasn't just swallowed up in a fish. He was swallowed up in the ground for three days before he rose again. Jesus came with a message that he didn't need his arms twisted. In fact, he had his arms twisted when he hung between heaven and earth. And he said, God, I'm forsaken. I'm not accepted by earth. I'm not accepted in heaven. Here I am. And he cried out, it is finished. You see, Jesus was compared to these prophets, but he was so much more. Who do you say he is? Is he just a prophet to you? Well, well, well here's, here's the problem is that if he's just a prophet, then he's also a misleading prophet or possibly even psychotic, possibly mentally disturbed. Because the prophets themselves didn't go around and say, you're going to kill me, and on the third day I'm going to rise again. I mean, you've got to be pretty sure about that, or else don't say it because it will discredit everything in your ministry. Or what about saying to the masses, the Father and me are one? 
He, he's getting a following. It's a good time to start a radio ministry and a TV ministry and send out a newsletter. And about this time, he says, if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you can't be part of me. I mean, I mean, that is, that is a, a career limiting move. If ever you asked, if ever you knew, who do you say this Jesus is? Now, I remember growing up without Bible in church, but being quite familiar with the name Jesus Christ. But it wasn't used in the context we use it now. It was usually the expletive used uh, after someone did something they shouldn't do or got burnt or got hurt. Uh, so we heard the name. It always confuses me that people, when they accidentally spill something, they don't shout out Buddha or they don't shout out Muhammad. Or they don't shout out, oh, Hare Krishna. But they do shout out Jesus Christ. Why is that? Have you ever asked yourself that question? Maybe the tongue wants to actually confess something. And when it confesses Jesus Christ, there's some kind of spiritual experience. Maybe it's a release. Maybe it's a relief. I don't know. I'm not a psychologist. I don't want to go too deep into this. But I do find it uncanny. So I grew up hearing the name Jesus Christ branded around and used as, a, 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 as an expletive with other words attached to it. But many years later, I heard of Jesus in a different context. And I have an answer now to that question. I have an answer for myself. Who is Jesus to me? First of all, he's... He's the savior of the world. He's the one who came and said, it is written of me to do the will of my God. He was the lamb slain from the foundation of the earth. And I remember when I first heard this message of the gospel, I was barely coming out of my teens. But something gripped me on the inside. Something in me knew that I knew that I knew that this love that permeated the universe was found in Jesus Christ. And when I experienced him, I experienced his love. That's who Jesus is to me. That's who he can be to you. If you want to just put aside all your arguments and all your questions and your pretenses and, and limiting him to a prophet or limiting him to a crazy man, open up your heart, your life and say, Jesus, come and reveal to me your love. And my friend, there's a depth of love. There's a height of love. There's a, there's a, a fullness of love that's found in Jesus that radically changes our life. Now, I, I know there's times we, we drift away and we even get a little bit cold around that love because sometimes we think it's our love for him that's important and we forget that it's his love for us. And we have to stir it up sometimes by just being quiet and being on our own or coming into worship and being in his presence. Because it's very easy to get distracted from the love of God. And that's why the enemy sends problems our way. I mean, I look at these last few weeks. I was just chatting to a few friends of mine this morning. Every week has presented a whole new set of problems. But you know what the problem is with problems? It's not the problem. Is that the problem gets your eyes off Jesus. Who is Jesus to me? Who is Jesus to you? Jesus was the fulfillment of all the Old Testament prophecies and promises in fact one time he's walking on the road after his resurrection and he bumps into a few guys on the road to the town of Emmaus and he starts speaking to them 
And then he takes the scripture and he shows them from the scripture who he is. And that he's the fulfillment of all this old covenant. And they said their hearts burned within them. You see, Jesus was the fulfillment of every promise spoken in the old covenant. Where the, he was the fulfillment. In fact, where water was turned into blood, Jesus turns water into wine. In the new covenant, uh, 3,000 people are saved on Pentecost. In the old covenant, 3,000 died when the law was given. In the old covenant, if a leper touched you, you would be made unclean. In the new covenant, Jesus cleanses the lepers. In the old covenant, blessings and curses were based on your performance, how well you were doing, how well you were matching up. But in the new covenant, our blessing is based on Christ's performance, that he fulfilled the law perfectly. That's who Jesus is to me. He was my substitute that lived the perfect life I could never live so that my blessing is not deserved on what I do and don't do, but on the name of Jesus Christ. I'm found in him. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me and you. Who is Jesus to you? Who is Jesus in your life? He can't just be a good man. He can't just be a prophet. You might be Saying, yeah, my friends say to me they don't even believe he existed. Well, that's quite uncanny because every time you write the date, you are pronouncing that something cataclysmic happened that separated what we now call AD to BC, 2,000 years ago. If they say, well, I don't believe in this Jesus. Well, you know what? Maybe you also don't believe in the Jesus they don't believe in. Because often when people say that, they're talking about the Jesus who come and gave their car puncture this morning before they went to work to teach them not to cheat their mother-in-law. Now, you know, people come up with all crazy ideas. Something goes wrong. Oh, God's trying to teach me. God made me sick. God gave this person cancer because he's trying to teach them something. You know, God brought AIDS to the planet. Oh, God has sent COVID to teach us all a lesson. Let me tell you, if I believed that about the character of God, I would also say I don't believe in that Jesus. I agree with your friends. I believe in the Jesus who said, I am coming to bring life and life more abundantly. I believe in the Jesus who says, nothing is too difficult for me, if only you will believe. You say, but Steve, you're not facing reality. Come on, look around you. Look at this COVID thing. Well, I want to answer honestly and say, we've all been taken by surprise. But God hasn't changed. And he's still the same as he's always been. And there is suffering in this planet. In fact, in the book of Revelations and in the prophecies in Matthew 24, Luke 21, it speaks about the end days, calamities, pestilences, and a lot of the suffering that's been brought through the rebellion of man. Through man saying, I choose to live without God. In the garden at the tree, he said, I Don't accept the free gift God has given me. I'm going to perform for it. So I'm going to do something. And in the process, rebelled against the courts of heaven and committed high treason. And in the process, the fallenness of the planet came. And now the planet's waiting for the sons of God to rise up and emerge. And and I know there's suffering. I know it's not going to all just go away with a magic wand. But God hasn't changed. The truth hasn't changed. And even now, you're sitting and you're thinking, but 
God could just flick his little finger and everything would change. Well, my friend, God has chosen to work through his delegated legitimate authority on earth. And that is why Jesus said, I'm going to build my church. But let's carry on with this passage. Who is Jesus to you? And then in verse 16, Simon Peter answers and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus said to him, Blessed are you, Simon, by Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades will not prevail against it. Jesus says to him, Petros, which is stone, I'm going to take this stone and I'm going to put it on the foundation, which is the rock, which is me, Christ Jesus, because there's no other foundation except Jesus. And in the New Testament, we see that we are living stones built on the apostles, on Christ, who is the foundation. And Peter can't be this rock he's talking about because Peter completely went off the track. And that wasn't what Jesus was building on. But Jesus is referring back through this uh, word, this I say to you, he's referring back to the conversation that's taking place in which Peter had a revelation that was given to him by the Father. In fact, Jesus is saying, Peter, you never came up with this idea yourself. <laughs> you know, at school when you used to do exams and then look over the shoulder of someone else and like, crib off their notes or I know none of you did that yeah I know none of you ever wrote anything in your hands or had a piece of paper in your pocket and you never cribbed yeah no I'm not talking to you I'm talking to your neighbors obviously but Peter you did not come up with this this was a revelation that could only come by my father it's not a flesh and blood discovery and I want to say the same to you because the same is true of me and you is that coming to know who Jesus is as the lamb that was slain to fulfill the old covenant uh, blood that was shed for uh, atonement, to come and know this Jesus who is the last Adam who fulfilled whatever first Adam failed. the Jesus as the one who said, in my father's house are many mansions, I'm going to go and prepare a place for you. To know this Jesus and his love is not something we figure out with our mental aptitude. It's not something our rational can get a hold of and come to a conclusion. It's not a theory that depends on data to draw its conclusion. My friend, this is a supernatural impartation in the inner man when you know that you know that this Jesus is who he said he was, that he rose on the third day that he ascended into heaven, that he sent his Holy Spirit and he's promised one day to return to this planet and we will be with him eternally. Amen? That comes by revelation. That was not revealed to you, Peter, by flesh and blood. This was my Father showing you something. And in that blessing, when we know when Jesus said, Peter, you blessed, that blessing wasn't just for Peter. That blessing gets transferred to everyone who believes. You're blessed. If you believe that Jesus is who he said he was, 
you have received that blessing. There you go. You don't have to fear the curse anymore. The Old Testament curse doesn't apply to you. Jesus became your curse and now he's come to give you life and life abundantly. That's blessing. We have been blessed in the heavenly realms in Christ Jesus. It always amazes me how often people are more fearful of a curse. They're more fearful that someone put a spell on them. They're more fearful that their great uncle was a Freemason. They're more concerned that the people who lived in the house before them practice witchcraft. You know that all those curses count for nothing when you hear once Jesus say, blessed are you. Can you receive that today? Blessed are you. When you believe this, when you received it, this blessing wasn't just for Peter. This blessing, my friend, is for all of us. And this is how the church is built. On the foundation of Jesus Christ. Who he said he was, what he did, and what he promises he'll do into the future. No other foundation can be laid. This is the most important question you're going to be asked. Who is Jesus? I know what the people say about me, he said. I know what they're comparing me to, but who do you say I am? And it's that revelation that I will build my ecclesia, that I will delegate my governmental authority to, those who've had a revelation of who I am and who hear and do what I call them to do. You see, if your answer to this question is just, well, I was disappointed, he seems to be very harsh, he's a distant, disengaged God, then that's the kind of life you're going to live. Distant, disengaged, disappointed. If your answer to that question is, Jesus is just a docile, passive, indifferent to my needs, then that's the amount of blessing you're going to walk in. But when you recognize that Jesus is the king of glory, he's the king over all kings, he is the savior of the world, your life will reflect that. And his peace and his joy can come into our life, can transform us. Only what's built on Jesus Christ is going to last. And he said, I'm going to build it. It belongs to me and it's going to keep growing until I come back. And yes, it's going to come through opposition and there's going to be demonic attack and the gates are going to try and block what his kingdom wants to introduce. But he said they will not prevail because I'm giving to you the keys of the kingdom. They are keys to engage with the unseen realm so that we can be relevant in the seen realm where keys can be activated even in the natural realm, what seems to be natural. And will have a ramification into people's lives. You see, because behind every physical situation, every physical dilemma, problem, name it, there is a spiritual activity. And that's where we operate, church, not just in the natural. A good friend of mine recently, a pastor from East London, I was speaking to him on the, the phone and he relayed this story to me, and I'm finishing with this, about a 
pastor friend of his that came from Zimbabwe and planted a church in Johannesburg uh, in the late 90s. And the church really flourished and blossomed and, and exploded with growth. And they had to go to multiple services. They then had to start congregations and sites across the city. And it just grew exponentially, reaching souls, making disciples, engaging the community. But in the midst of all of this, he gets cancer. In the midst of all of this, he's going for chemotherapy. He's lost his energy. He's exhausted. He can't do any physical work without being sick. And his elders come and sit around the bed at the, at the hospital. And one of them has the courage just to ask him, what is going to now happen in the church? And the answer of this pastor really gripped my heart, and I hope it grips yours. He said, now we're going to find out that what was built on Christ is going to stand. And that what was just built on us is not going to stand. And those words echo with 1 Corinthians 3 that we read just now, that Paul said, I have built as a master builder, but now everyone, everyone who's building, whether you're building with two or three or five or ten, the challenge to you is to keep Christ central in everything we do. To take his word seriously, that it's his church and he's building it. What we're doing is not for man. It's not for self-exaltation. It's not for reward in this life. It's because Jesus has called us to co-labor and work together with him. Let every man be careful how he builds on Christ, only the rock. Let me pray. Lord, thank you for this incredible promise today that you are the foundation and what's built on you is going to triumph. We thank you, Lord, as we align our hearts to that question today to receive you into our lives afresh as the Lamb of God, who is the King of kings and the Lion of Judah, the soon coming King. Bless us today, Lord, as we focus on this. Amen. Amen.